Okay, don't freak out. My name is Miles Morales, and I'm Spider-Man. Welcome back, True Believers. My name is Jack, and thank you very much for downloading episode 36 of The Ultimate Spin, the one and only Spider-Man podcast specifically for fans of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. Hey there, this is Brian, and in this episode, we see how Miles is drawn into Civil War II as he meets up with Iron Man for the first time, again, in Spider-Man number six, while Gwen faces her most surreal battle yet as she joins her dad and Aunt May to face off against Kraven the Hunter and Louis the Orangutan in Spider-Gwen number 10. Hi, this is Kyle. Don't forget to hit up ultimatespinpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, catch up on older episodes and connect with us via the Twitter and Facebook. Our show is by fans, for fans, meaning that we love hearing from you. To hear what you think of these characters and their stories, drop us a line and join in the conversation. Let's get right to it. So there's been actually some Miles news. We had Omar Holman from BlackNerdProblems.com on our last episode. And part of our conversation, he had mentioned this idea that uh, it'd be interesting to see Miles written by someone else, possibly a person of color. And sure enough, asking you shall receive at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. They announced that Miles is going to get his first young adult novel uh, written by Jason Reynolds, who is the author of When I Was the Greatest, uh, which is a uh, award-winning book, won the Coretta Scott King Award for New Talent. I admittedly haven't uh, read, I don't read a lot of young adult novels, but um, he is a notable name. This is a big get for Marvel. Um, Not a lot of info in the book yet, but I just thought it was its kind of a neat step forward for the character. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never really read any of those novels that, uh, there was a She-Hulk one a little while ago, um, and there's been a couple of other ones fairly recently, and they get, they're pretty well received from what I can tell. So I'm interested to see if Miles will be equally well received and if that will kind of bring in a new wave of listeners or you know readers or whoever else has never experienced Miles before. Like, will they suddenly be aware of this character because they are not interested in comics at all and they'll kind of discover... I assume there'll be an ad at the back of like, and now follow his adventures in Spider-Man number 12 or whatever. Like I'm interested to see where this goes, but I I don't know how interested I am in young adult novels at this point. I don't don't know if I can be tempted even by miles. I would think that the format of just doing it as a novel would be a cool opportunity to get into his head a little bit more. So there could be some Mm. cool ideas to explore there, focusing even more on, on character and the relationships than necessarily the action. So yeah, that, that, I, I'm definitely interested. I'll, I'll check it out. Yes, I will expect this your whole review in an episode, a solo episode of Brian. That's right. Um, for me, it's like, and I, I knew that the they, I knew, I remember them announcing the She-Hulk, and I'm sure it was a black, a black Widow one as well. But even if it wasn't, I remember the She-Hulk one. But I never remember him actually coming out. So. I mean, I'll probably know when this comes out because, hey, they're on Miles Morales' show. Whether I will really even care or know where to buy it other than maybe a bookshop. Do do actual comic shops sell these ones? Because in mine, I've not seen the She-Hulk one. I think it depends. There was a novelization of Craven's Last Hunt a while ago, and I saw that pop up in our, our local shop. So, I don't know. You mean that story that I never read? Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But the other big news, Jack, you'd mentioned, uh, follow his adventures in Spider-Man 12. We saw the cover for Spider-Man 12, and oh my goodness. It's, it's like it was made for this show. Eerie, isn't it? <laughs> the world, yeah. 
Yeah, that, so that I feel like kind of has to be our new logo. Yeah, I feel like we should get a cut of this in some way. Yeah, I mean, like they wouldn't have thought to combine these two characters if there wasn't like a pod, a world famous podcast with the millions listening to it. So you know, Marvel, I will accept donations. And if you're listening to this and happen to be in the dark as to what we're talking about, the cover for Spider-Man 12 with art by uh, Sarah Pichelli was released in an issue of uh, Marvel's Marvel Previews magazine, and it is Miles and Gwen, Spider-Gwen, sharing a kiss. And is it fair to say that people went a little nuts about this? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> if you combine the the phrases across Spider-Gwen 15 and Spider-Man 12, you get Miles and Gwen sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. <laughs> Like uh, who, who they must be listening to the show. Like, how else would you make this connection? Because I, I assumed our like tenuous connections are like we just kind of chose these two spider characters because we like them, and then we're going to do a podcast about them. I would never in a million years thought to like cross them over or even put them in a relationship because we've kind of had the running joke with Ms. Marvel and um, Miles and, and Gangi still makes that joke in the issue we're going to be talking about soon um but what a weird pairing i'm fascinated to see where this goes and yeah as you can imagine the fanboys and fangirls as you said brian lost their mind on twitter well one of the things was um i think jason latour stressed that um he never that who says that they're actually in a relationship for starters and the whole age gap is like three two three years depending on whatever mm-hmm. however miles you absolute lad so, <laughs> <good> on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, on the more serious though, I'm kind of. I mentioned it on Twitter. I mean, if you you should might have seen it, and if you don't, you should be totally following me at just Kyle MC. Where it was like I mentioned the moment in Ultimate Spider Man where Black Cat kisses Peter and then realizes he's really young and gets super grossed out. So who knows that we might end up just having a retread of that. And that's that's about the extent of their relationship. Who knows? I mean, cover the cover. I, I looked at it and was like, okay, this is weird. And then moved on. I really like the, the, the Gwen cover. That's a really cool image. But the second one is a bit weird. <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, it's it's just the cover. It's supposed to grab your attention. It got people talking. So you got the job done. So we'll find out later this fall. But for now, should we get to uh, what's going on with Miles in Spider-Man number six? Oh, why not? And so picking up from the last issue with Miles and Miles still kind of dealing with the fallout of his relationship with Genki and revealing his his, um, secret identity to Fabio, what do we call him? Golden balls. That's not what we called him. Gold orbs is what we call him. Gold orbs. Eventually it might stick, who knows? But we kind of have the moment where they're still continuing the relationship and it's kind of Brendis teases the discussion of race yet again. But for the most part, acting as a tie into the Civil War II event. We get the reintroduction of Tony Stark in a way that we thought kind of already happened as well as it's now being implemented into his head whether he should actually just tell his mother whether he is spider-man or not personally for me this whole issue is kind of up and down as a tie-in but what about you guys 
I'm, I mostly agree with you, Kyle. Yeah, there there are bits that I really like, particularly Miles's chat with Jefferson that really kind of stuck with me. Um, and of course, everybody loves Gold Orbs. It, my, my my fandom of Fabio Medina is fairly well established on this show already. But I, I felt the Tony Stark stuff was a bit clunky and like, oh yeah, you did this all before when you did Civil War number one, right, Tony? Like, okay, yeah, we get it. It's Civil War two. You don't need to reference the first one. Felt a bit clunky and a bit too much of a tie-in, but the stuff that wasn't a tie-in, I thought worked really, really well, pretty much as the rest of the series has done. Quite frankly, that's what I was really happy to see, the stuff that wasn't a tie-in. I got—I admit, I got a little nervous when I saw Civil War II slapped on the cover when the preview image came out, because for me, this has been the problem with this uh, character in the series since day one, pretty much. I mean, we've seen it over and over again. We've talked about it on the show, or I certainly have. Um, every time there's a crossover, it's just all of the action kind of crashes to a halt and then mm-hmm. you switch gears and like the whole first arc miles had just finished this traumatic experience with, you know, losing uncle Aaron, all of a sudden the United States is in the middle of a civil war and then Galactus shows up and then there's another earth in the sky. This one actually just kind of kept going with the, the narrative that had been building up anyway. So we have the Genki Gold balls, you know, dynamic, and then the Rio and Jefferson dynamic, and then all of these ideas about trust. That was the common theme I kind of saw. You know, Genki had broken Miles's trust, and Rio is having second thoughts about the investigator. And I, I thought that's an interesting idea that kind of built up nicely to where Tony was going. So, yeah, I, I agree. the The inclusion of Tony felt clunky to me, but then I did like how it took it in this interesting angle about racial profiling that dovetailed really nicely with these ideas that have been seeded since issue one of this run. Yeah, that that was the best part of that kind of bit where Tony shows up and uses the word profiling and Miles gives him that look of like, do I do you use that word on purpose? And I, I wondered like, is he going to bring that up or is he just going to let Tony Stark keep talking about it? And then he actually says, did you, are you using the word profiling because I'm not white? Is, is that what's going on here? And he's like, no, 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 I promise. I just couldn't think of a different word for it. But I thought then that tying into Jefferson and, and he, they mentioned his problems with the police for seemingly only being a, a non-white guy. Um, I thought that was a really, really clever way to kind of tie it all together. But I thought the actual appearance of Tony Stark felt a bit like, oh, I'm getting a phone call from the guy who's involved in the event, which is how a lot of these things work. If anybody else has ever read a Marvel event book that crosses over with the main series, that's usually how this works. Some guy will appear on a rooftop and like, oh no, Peter Parker's on my roof. I better go and speak to him. Whose side are you on, kid? And then they swing off into the distance. It felt a bit Wait. classic and old school, samey to me, personally. Well, the weirdest thing came from is like, the way he introduces himself here would make you think this is the kind of the first time that they've met but mm. like they mentioned earlier that not only does miles mention he was an avenger he, he is on avenger. the avengers team yeah with with tony so it's like you do did someone like get hit on the head and they lost the memory and they don't remember that these guys have worked together on a semi-regular basis in their own series it's like, this weird timeline thing that's going on i don't know when the Avengers stuff is happening in relation to this because the Miles in New Avengers feels different to the Miles in this one, and like well, he's having a big falling out with a bunch of characters in that book. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a bit weird. 
I mean, like, but the key, the key thing will always be that they acknowledge that he's an Avenger. So the fact that he acknowledged he's an Avenger and he's his first Avenger team was with Tony. It's like, yeah. okay, what's going on here? Uh, I recently tried to read the uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue where uh, Miles had a guest appearance. I, I think that was a point I just shrugged my shoulders and gave up trying to reconcile the continuity. Because in that book, he's hanging out with Peter and then Iron Man kind of crashes their little play date that they're having. Um, it's just kind of like a big brother bonding time. And then it's revealed that, oh, Tony improved the web shooters that Peter had designed for him. And they end up having a big argument and a brawl. And it's like, all right, I, I, that's, that's just down to Marvel editorial, I guess. I don't know how that works over at the, the spider office when they try to tie all the books together. I, I guess they really don't. It's this, this book always feels like it's doing its own thing, which is fine by me. I actually, that's what drew me to it in the first place. So yeah, I just, as far as him being an Avenger and stuff like that, I think it, it never goes further than just kind of like a basic acknowledgement, but don't really try to tie plot lines together with that. Yeah. Well, I enjoy, I look forward to when Miles um, turns up in Invince, what is it, whatever Iron Man book it is with Tony in, and then even though Bendis is writing it, Miles and <laughs> Iron Man have still never met. So we also had a fill-in artist on this issue, Nico Leon. What did you guys think of uh, Nico's work? I thought he did a great job. I mean, he, he has a similar style with uh, faces. They're kind of slightly angular. Um, I mean, we had noted when this run kicked off how much older Miles looked, uh, just the way the kind of the sharpness of his features. And that's definitely continued here. I liked it for the most part. There were one or two kind of awkward moments. I thought the women looked very similar, namely uh, Rio and Jessica. They had the kind of longer hair uh, tucked behind the ear, you know, with the kind of long strand hanging down. And I think that's where the coloring really helped out um, to kind of differentiate the two, especially in their scene together toward the end. Yeah, um, I, I pretty much agree with you there, Brian. Yeah, I thought the facial expressions were really, really great. Obviously, Ganky has maybe the best facial expressions in superhero comics. I've I've mentioned before my love of his eyebrows and how expressive they are. They, I, I have a feeling artists love drawing Ganky because they can just do wacky like oh come on man like crazy, wacky, facial expressions and and Miles's looks of just like exasperation at just everything. <laughs> I, I I really really enjoyed it. I thought Nico Leon did a really great job. Yeah, um, his actual superhero like segments were probably some. Like the way he drew, like the Iron Man arm and Spider Man in costume, were probably some of the best ones. And I did particularly like the um, conversation between um, Rio and and Jefferson, for the most part. But I mean, like, it's also worth probably worth noting as well that it's a different colorist as well. It's Marty Garcia. Garcia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm probably butchering his name. I mean, accept this by now. Who is actually one of my favorite ones. Uh, Back what you really used to do, amazing Spider. Used to do amazing Spider-Man back in the last volume. Was it the volume before? I can't remember. There's too many damn volumes of Amazing Spider-Man. But he's one of the best ones in not only Marvel in the game. One thing that Leon did that I really enjoyed, and I don't know if I've really seen it before, but having Miles's Spider-Man mask be expressive with the eyes squinting and mm. getting really wide. My favorite. Spider-Man Peter Parker artist is Humberto Ramos mm-hmm. and it felt very Ramosy when as soon as Miles put on his suit like you said you get the wide eyes you get the squinting you get the like super freaked out eyes as he's swinging around that um swinging around the buildings and stuff it felt very Ramosy to me and that is a huge compliment to any 
spider book and their artist basically because Ramos's Spider-Man is like one of my all-time favorite superhero and artist combinations. So yeah, have we seen that before? I think we've seen them go slightly wide before, but they felt extra expressive this time around. And it ends with Jessica and Rio. What what do you think is going to happen? Do you think Rio is going to get the answer she's looking for? Or do you think Jess is going to stick with it and, and not betray her client for one of that phrase? I think that whole thing is weird now because let's let's assume now that Jessica is fully aware that Miles is Spider-Man. Yeah. Jessica has powers. Jessica has been a superhero. Jessica has hung around with superheroes. So I feel like if she then goes to tell, like Rio or Rio's mum, right, whose name escapes me. Gloria. Gloria. There you go. It's like an unwritten superhero rule. It's like breaking the superhero code kind of thing. Yeah. Like breaking the magician's code, but with less masked magicians. So I feel like that's a little little of a weird thing that will potentially be revealed in the next issue. I don't know. Who knows? She could be, oh, and he got a tattoo. And Miles (laughs) secretly has a tattoo. Of a Miles Miles Morales in in the full Spider-Man costume, just tattoo that across his chest. Yeah, that's what she means. He's Spider-Man. No, he just has a Spider-Man tattoo. He's got a Spider Gwen tattoo. How about that? Yeah, we dun, go. Dun, dun. In a little heart with an arrow through it. That's the seed that we lay for this upcoming crossover. But I like this idea of, of secret identities, especially because you know, we, we talked you mentioned it earlier, Jack, that you know, that scene with Miles talking with his dad about, you know, what he should do with this whole Tony thing and you know where he should go with it. And Miles has this secret, but then Jefferson has this secret now because S.H.I.E.L.D. reached out to him and they wanted to to rejoin the fold. And he's keeping that to himself at this point. But then he's telling Miles that, you know, with everything going on, you should really come clean to your mom and your grandma. And yet he's got this own thing in his back pocket. So I found that really interesting, especially as a as a dad, that whole, you know, idea of, well, you got to practice what you preach or is it, you know, do as I say, but not as I do. So I'm curious to see where that goes because Jefferson is shaping up to be a really interesting character for me. I'm a huge Ganky fan, but Jefferson is swiftly approaching being the most interesting and like thematically important character. And I really, really like that. I, I like what Bendis is doing with him at the moment. Like I said, the highlight of this issue for me was when him and Miles just sat on those steps. And it's a classic comic book thing of having the panel stay in the same shot as the conversation happens, but the characters kind of move around. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. And that's definitely my, my favorite part of this issue. Uh, often my favorite part of these Miles issues is when he's just sat down talking to his family and stuff, the, the bonds that they have. And we even talk about it with Gwen and George in Spider-Gwen as well. The the chat they had a couple of issues ago was such a highlight for, for us. And it's these characters and their relationships with their families and their friends and their fellow heroes that kind of make these books for us. And, I'm I'm looking forward to see where Bendis is going to take Jefferson in the future. Because, well, because one of the things I did kind of like about the whole Jefferson thing is uh, his whole like it's it's kind of like it's not my secret to tell. Because obviously, when mm. Rio finds out that he knows, she's not going to be too pleased. Whereas we're currently setting up for Jessica to then tell Miles' secret, and we've already had Ganky tell the secret. Yeah, yeah. So there was the um, scene when there are, he's with Rio out in that. Dino or bar or whatever. The coffee and, bean. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's a there. that's a Spider Man classic location. <sighs> gloss over, gloss read over. up your Spider Man history. <laughs> no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. 
But he kind of gives a weird look to Nova. So do you reckon he's still carrying on from uh, he hates other heroes? He just appreciates his son as a hero? Or is that just, I'm just reading to it way too much? No, that's a good catch. I, I did I did think about that as well. So should we wrap up this issue with uh, what we always do every time on the show? We don't give scores. We don't give grades or letters or anything like that. We always do a three-word kind of summary of our feelings for this issue. And Brian, why don't you kick us off? Give me your three words for Spider-Man number six. I'm going to say color me impressed. I, and I did not expect much from this being a crossover, but this really surprised me in a good way. Is that a pun for how good Garcia's coloring is as well? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no pun necessary. He's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. Kyle, how about you, sir? As the guy who is still on his I'm not reading events thing, I'm going to go and say um, this is best Miles tie-in. And I'm counting tie-in as one word. And if you don't like it, suck it. Tie-in is hyphenated, so I'll let you have that. Woo! I'll let you on. And uh, basically the only thing I, I felt was not good about this issue, I will say, go away, Tony. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Enough already. <laughs> and now it's time to talk about the latest issue of Spider-Gwen. We have issue number 10. Wake me up before you go, go. As, as predicted and revealed by Jason Latour on this show, appearance of Craven uh, for the first time in Spider-Gwen. And it is my turn for the recap, so I feel I should probably kick things off. Um, in this issue, we witness the pairing of Frank Castle and a newly redesigned Craven. Gwen is still dealing with her lack of powers and trying to use that device when she thinks it's best to, and being pursued by the people who know her identity, namely Castle. Craven unleashes the literal jungle book of animals to attack Gwen and George Stacy, and George manages to defeat Castle, destroy the camera, and destroy the evidence. He then gets punched for, by Gwen for some reason, still not sure why. Just when Craven seems defeated, right at the end, he reveals he still has a key part of Gwen's power device, seemingly the radioactive core, I'm guessing that is. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a interesting issue i'm not quite what i expected from the kind of epic lion cover what did you guys think of spider gwen number 10 there's a point in this story where gwen just says what the is even happening right now <laughs> and that is exact that was my exact reaction because it it started in one place and just went insane and i've always enjoyed that this book is unpredictable i never know where it's going when when I when I start reading, and I like that, I like going along for the ride. But this time, it seems like I I think the idea of Craven is interesting, but I think the way he was introduced, it just kind of it didn't flow very well. So it seemed like a lot some cool ideas, some weird ideas, some great ones, but a little bit too much, and so it ended up feeling kind of jumbled as a result. How about you, Kyle? For me, I just kept getting focused on more that it's as Castle as the the final boss. Mm. And seeing, and although it's another version of Craven, seeing him has like and one of his one of the mini bosses 
was kind of something that I just couldn't do. And it was, yeah, again, it was kind of weird just the way he's introduced. Design-wise, he's great. But I'm still more focused on Gwen is running out of these vials more mm. than, oh, here's Craven. This is a really important thing that Craven is here for. Instead of dragging it out maybe over two or three more issues of how can she use these, we're already over with that. That was a little bit of a disappointment, if you get me. I can see that, but it's also, it kind of raises the stakes a little bit, right? Because the, I think, I liked how this started because, as you mentioned, like she's got this limited number of, of lives, right? So every time she uses one, I thought the way they picked up from what happened last issue, now she's she's feels she feels obligated to make the most of it. So she goes out looking for a fight and then ends up feeling disappointed because she doesn't really get one that, that felt like it was worth it. And so it's always, you know, being a spider character, it's like, if you can help someone do it, but now it, she's in this weird dilemma of like, well, is it really worth it? Or should I just get rid of it altogether and just go back to who I used to be? But that's not so easy with, with Castle in the background. How do you guys feel about this new version of Craven? Kyle, you mentioned you like the redesign. Um, from the the opening panel, I got the kind of impression that he would be almost this like Rasputin style Russian mystic kind of character, and then he was just like, "Oh, I've got a brother who's an orangutan," and it, it's literally the Jungle Book for some reason. It got way more silly than I thought it was going to be, which I guess I'm I'm, I'm reading Spider Gwen. What what should I expect? But it, it felt like it started off really gritty, and when Castle shows up, it does often get quite sort of hardcore, and he takes everything quite seriously donuts aside but I, I was kind of expecting something dark and interesting and i felt it got a little bit too silly for me I, i'm i don't i kind of don't want to say it but i think this might be my least favorite of these 10 issues of this of this volume so far S- silly you mean an orangutan wearing a bow tie is silly wow well, i mean we come from different backgrounds then so. because so, i thought this was deadly serious <laughs> so how did you guys feel about the whole kind of Craven's appearance, and and do you think he's going to be a player in the future? Do you, do you care about this version of Craven? Like you mentioned, Craven's last hunt earlier on, um, Brian, and how what a pivotal Spider-Man story that is. I was kind of hoping for him to be a big deal in this as well, and we kind of have a a a, a really big kind of ongoing story. But it feels like he's sort of not one and done, but he won't be hanging around for too long. And he doesn't feel like that much of a threat. <laughs> I think silly is the perfect description for him. I mean, I like how Rodriguez, the, the original Craven costume is just ridiculous. And so oh, yeah. I, I, to take that ridiculous idea and modernize it, the, the pajama pants, I, the way, the way it's set up in the, I mean, if you read the bio, they kind of set it up. Well, he has a little bit of a crush on Gwen now at this point. A, yeah, I thought that was a bit weird. That's a bit much, but yeah. so he's he's sort of set up to to come back, but maybe on a on a sillier level, like the Bodega Bandit, and they're even she even references Koala Commander. So if it's going to be like that, kind of a a fun goofy thing, but I, I don't know. The, this book has done has like rushed, for lack of a better word, like rushed the intros of major villains before. So we had Black Cat; she's just kind of there. And they had that crazy fight in Madison Square Garden. Or Harry as the Green Goblin. We had talked about like, hey, you know, reunion at the uh, camp out or whatever. And by the way, I've got this glider and here I go as the Green Goblin. So that's that's just the way this book is. And maybe the third time around or however many it's been, 
I'm feeling a little fatigued with that. It's a, it can be a lot to kind of wrap your head around. I'd be interested to see how Rodriguez and Renzi and Latour come to these kind of decisions where like, oh, we're going to introduce Craven, but we're definitely going to have to have Craven in there. Or like, why Craven? Why not a new character? Or why not Dr. Octopus or something weird, something we haven't seen before? Um, I'd, I'd be interested to see where the kind of inspiration for bringing particular characters back. Well, I, I guess that applies to any book, but because this is an alternate universe book, it applies even stronger than, than other ones. Like, why have Craven when you could have had another classic Spidey villain or created your own one? Yeah, I don't want to be... I don't want to sound cynical because I'm not about it, uh, but I almost wonder if that's part of a... Like a marketing editorial mandate, and yeah. I, I, not even a mandate, like a marketing angle, just like to keep this book interesting or to to grab maybe a casual reader, you know, to have something familiar to kind of latch onto. So you take that yep. idea, yep. but then you spin it off in a different way. But it's Craven that's ca- like that cover is is be- it's another beautiful cover, but it's oh, very the eye-catching. cover is amazing. So, yeah. but it's all it's not all silliness. I mean, there is there's an interesting through line here happening with with Gwen and this dilemma of you know, do I want to hang on to this Spider-Woman thing for, you know, however many like dwindling number of opportunities I have, or do I just throw it all, all away? And she starts to have that conversation with her dad and it gets interrupted by all the craziness, but I love their scenes together. I can, I could read a whole book of that. And I love the, just the goofy visual of her with the power pack t-shirt over her costume, <laughs> but probably two of my favorite panels, maybe, I mean, certainly in this issue and possibly in the series overall, I love those panels of just George asking her, are you okay? And then they just, she just hugs him. Yeah. It's exactly what I was just saying about the Spider-Man number six, where it's these characters and their relationships that we care about the most. It's great. Rodriguez does amazing action. Renzi's colors are incredible. Latour's ideas and stuff are amazing, but it's their character work. It's the creators who have made us care about Gwen and George and the other characters in, in Spider-Man and Miles and his crew as well. They're the, the heart of these books, for sure. And I'm right there with you, Brian. Whenever George and Gwen are on a page together, this is probably going to be the highlight of the issue for me. No matter how incredible a redesign is or how awesome an action piece is, it's their relationship and those characters that really always stand out for me. What did you guys make of the sudden appearance of Aunt May? bit weird like I, I didn't even realize it was may for a little while <laughs> like what is that because she's kind of got similar hair to gwen which i thought was a bit weird i was like okay who what what's going on here and then oh okay right yeah yeah i i don't really see why they bothered do, do you see what i mean like it, it felt a bit they could have just had gwen and george there i don't really know why well, not even that. Like, she didn't seem particularly weirded out that there was a panther in her next door neighbor's yard, a bunch of snakes, and then Spider Woman, like with her mask yeah. half off and wearing wearing a t shirt. So, if is that's that's a weird setup to say I've known all along. Yeah, yeah, it's very odd. So, where do we see um, this going? It ends obviously with Craven, like we mentioned, with the uh, the vial, the radioactive core, whatever that that thing is from one of Gwen's power juices and devices. Um, what do you think that means for, for Frank Castle? Are we going to see Frank Castle 
obviously sounds like Craven's going to give that to him. So are we going to see Frank super powered up, ready to fight Gwen? Do you think that's his ultimate plan, or where do you think this is going, guys? What, what, any predictions for issue eleven? That didn't occur to me. Spider Frank? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Spider Castle. Whether Craven's either going to use it for himself or try and re- duplicate it, duplicate the formula somehow, and that will probably probably be how Gwen gets her powers back. Or Spider Island too, yeah. No, because <laughs> <laughs> the cover for Eleven gives nothing away, which I kind of appreciate. Unlike this cover, where we're like, "Oh, it's Craven." <laughs> the one for Eleven is Gwen, kind of. Again, it's the kind of classic. D- does she be Spider Gwen and and be Spider Woman and, and live up to her powers and all that sort of stuff and make the most of it? Or does she just live a normal life? And that's basically what that cover is saying to me. So I have no idea what Frank Castle... And you mentioned it before, Brian. This is the unpredictability of this this series. And that's one of the things I love about it so much. We're dealing with characters we kind of know through these redesigns and, and these characters we've known for you know decades at this point in some cases. But we have no idea where it's going. They could kill off a character. They could completely change how Gwen interacts with certain characters. She could stop being Spider-Woman and be a different character. She'd still be Gwen, so we could still follow her adventures. I'm no idea where this is going, and that's really exciting for me, I think. Jack, you mentioned this earlier, so I'm glad it's not just me. I, why did Gwen punch her dad out? Right. You could have just, like, dragged him along. Because he says, like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stand by it. I can't run from this kind of thing. And she goes, like, I'm sorry, and just goes straight to punching him in the face. She could have just grabbed him by the back of the neck and dragged him along or something. This whole, like, sequence is kind of weird because we established that she never got to um, inject herself with another dose. And yet she somehow is able to put fully grown adult male, her father, on her back. And and knock him out in a single punch. Exactly, and web sling him away. Which is like, hmm. I mean, we just yeah. watched her not be able to get the 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 serum. What is this now? I just chalk this up as to be plain weird, and that she knows that she knows that Frank is. I think it's her way of making sure that Frank doesn't go after after George for the time being. So we'll probably wake up and he's going to be in the bunker and he can't escape. Because she's trying to protect him, like he's tried to protect her so many times in the series. So maybe this is her way of protecting him, and it'll be weird. In a way that only superhero comics can deem knocking someone out to protect them from a yeah. weirdo with characters from the Jungle Book coming after him. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's saying something when a series like this is actually challenging my suspension of disbelief. And <laughs> like that, that's actually none of us too. said like why why is there a Jungle Book reference. We all just went, why did she punch George? Yeah, that's that's, that's right. so ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. That can't happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that said, what's your take on this book in three words? Where was Mowgli? Or Baloo. Can I have where was Baloo? <laughs> yeah, go for it. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say where was Billy. Uh, He's going to say the bare necessities. Exactly. Yeah. This, this felt like the bare necessities at times. Um, no. Um, 
excited for Spider Castle. <laughs> I'm, I'm hyphenating Spider Castle there as well. I'm hoping he gets Gwenum's. powers and goes crazy. We're going to get Gwenum and Spider Castle not too far apart from each other. It's going to be great. I'm going to call it as weird, unpredictable, confusing. I'll say, like, I admire that they just go for it and try whatever. This is, uh, this is, I think, a rare stumble for me. I, like I said, this is my least favorite of this run so far, but basically all of the other ones have been fantastic. So it's not like it's, uh, it's been consistently bad and this is really bad. They're consistently fantastic and this is not quite up to the standard of the other ones. So, yeah, it, it's, it's hardly a bad book. And I still like the main dilemma for Gwen. So I'm still, especially now with the way it ended, I'm still, I'm very curious to see where it goes next. So that's our take on these books, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Would you make with Spider-Man number six and Spider-Gwen number 10? Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com and let us know. You can also connect with us on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin and on our Facebook page at Ultimate Spin Podcast. And of course, you can always head over to ultimatespinpodcast.com and click on the Talk to Us button as well. As always, you can find my reviews for these titles over at superiorspidertalk.com, which is also home to the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. You can find Kyle over at nerdsunchained.com, and you can find Jack's podcast over on iTunes. Just search for Intercomics Podcast. That's it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back next month with more Miles and more Gwen. Catch you soon for the Ultimate Spin. Ultimate Spin.